You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and um, it's been kind of interesting to talk to most of you. I think you're feeling pretty awake, you know, for this hour right now, but I've talked to a few that are like, well, the thing about fallback is, is that I would have loved to have got that extra hour of sleep, but my little kid still woke up at the old time, so therefore, like, it kind of loses, no one's informed them that it's fallback, so sorry about that, if that's you, I've already talked to a handful. Uh, I'm glad you're here, so we are uh, going through our uh, reading plan together, we even had a guide, and the guide, the theme this week is God's story, and we're in Romans chapter 1, is where we're going to be running with today. Let me tell you what we're going to do. One, we are going to talk about um, the story of the Bible, so we're going to do some of that, because this is like a preamble in some ways to the book of Romans. So we're going to spend some time doing this, but here's going to be the focus point of where we're going to land, is we're going to be um, hitting a, a bit of an intramural conflict within Christianity over the years about, uh, about faith and works, about, you know, are you saved mostly by believing or mostly by what you do, denominations split over this, and I think um, this section of Romans actually really ties some of those things beautifully in together, and then, uh, and then we're just going to really try to go deep with that and, uh, and talk about some of that tension within it. I don't think this is only an intramural conflict, though, because I think broader, whether Christian or not, um, everybody's got beliefs. Um, everybody does things in line with their beliefs and like has works that they do and actions that they do that are in line with their, their deepest beliefs and um, sense about things. So um, I think because of that, this passage is going to intersect all of us at a really beautiful and helpful way. So I'm just going to work through um, the first several verses for a bit, and um, then we're going to be really centering on one of these verses for the rest of our time. So let's just run through it. Uh, Paul, um, a servant of Christ Jesus. That tells you who this whole letter of Romans is uh, is written from. It's Paul. He's an apostle of, uh, of Christ, and he's called to be an apostle. Apostle carried unique authority and weight, um, and he's called, and this is important, it says set apart for the gospel of God. That word set apart, um, if you care at all about, uh, about you know, tense and voice and mood in the Greek language, I'm sure many of you are just dying to know. This is a passive participle. All that means is that uh, Paul didn't run for office. It didn't say uh, Paul Barnabas uh, 32 or whatever year it would have been. Uh, so it wasn't like it wasn't like that. Like he didn't run for run for apostleship. Like he was set apart by God for that role. And and it says specifically he was set apart for the gospel of God. Now what's going to happen for the next couple of verses is it's almost like going to say, hang on, let's just let me explain what the gospel of God is real quick. And then we're going to come back and pick up this apostleship conversation. But let's talk about what the gospel is. The word uh, gospel means good news. And in really clear, cool terms, I think the story of God is explained in verses two through four. So let's walk through that. Um, the gospel of God, which, uh, that's talking about the gospel, which he uh, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So what this means is the Old Testament, um, the Bible, before the part before Jesus comes is called the Old Testament. And it does a lot of things. It tells us kind of our origin story about how, uh, how people came to be. Also, Israel's origin stories are in the Old Testament. God's law, where he says, here's how our relationship is going to work. Here's how it needs to work with you. That's laid out. But um, in the Old Testament, it becomes really clear that there's a problem, that the law is good, and God's revelation
nation is good, but then, uh, but then Israel couldn't do it. And even their leaders couldn't do it. And so what's the deal? And as you go through the Old Testament, more and more as time goes on, like you get into Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it's like, hey, there's going to be a point when a new David's going to come that's going to be way different than these other kings and a new kind of Israelite is going to come and he's going to make things new inside of us. And, and more and more of the prophets start to point towards a future day when things are made right. And that's what this is saying, that uh, this good news was promised beforehand in the prophets of the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So specifically, these, these prophets were talking about God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So that means um, that um, there would be this coming Messiah that would be, in terms of human descent, that's what of the flesh means, would be coming from uh, David uh, because there was promise there would be a king over Israel that would come from David's lineage and that would rule over God's people forever. And so uh, Jesus is seen as that. So, you know, that part of the Christmas story that you tend to, if it was a Netflix show, you would kind of fast forward, um, like the, uh, you know, skip the intro. Yes, like that kind of thing. Uh, well, you might make a mistake in doing that because all the intros that are in the New Testament are really significant, helping you see that Jesus came from Abraham and came from David. Like he was the promised one, the promised Messiah from from the Old Testament. Uh, but then it says, verse 4, significantly, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, and then it announces his name, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is the real center point of all of Christianity, is the resurrection of Jesus. So he was promised ahead of time, he's the Messiah, but people had different ideas about what the Messiah would be. But um, critically, that the center point to it all is because, and the book of Romans is going to explain why. I don't have time to get into all of that today. We'll do more of that next week. But the book of Romans will say, why did we need a Savior? Why did God need to come to the earth and die? Why did he need to be resurrected from the dead? But it's things like we tend to be self-righteous. We tend to be indifferent towards God. We tend to be rebellious against God, developing a righteousness of our own. And God's solution for this was not to judge us, but rather to send his only son, uh, Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected, but it's about this resurrection that's the thing. Um, I had a really personally impactful conversation with one of our members. We had a couple of deaths um, here just this past week of, of longtime members. Uh, Bob Barrier passed away just a couple of days ago. His wife, Melissa, um, his daughter, Julie, and son-in-law, uh, Nick, are members here and have been here from the beginning. Um, he died um, on Friday. And then earlier this week, another guy named Dana Tartaglioni passed away, another member. They all ran in the same community here at Redeemer. Dana had, uh, had cancer. And maybe it was about 10 days before his death, um, I went by to visit Dana at the hospital and to check on Cindy, his wife. And, you know, there's certain things you do as a pastor, and that's one of those that obviously we have a whole group of pastors that are serving this church and a whole, uh, hopefully an army of, of members that are loving and caring for one another. But um, I wanted to swing by there. And as I was visiting with, with Cindy and Dana, that they decided that no more, uh, that they, he'd entered into hospice care at that point and didn't want any more, no more blood tests, no more needles, no more nothing. That at that point, there was, it was time, uh, the, the body had gotten to a place where he was just ready, ready to be with the Lord. And it's a really interesting and impactful thing to talk with a man, not theoretically, because most of our conversations that we would have here about death are very theoretical, right? It's like, yeah, someday. I mean, you know, someday when I die, theoretically... I'm a sinner. Theoretically, I'm going to need Jesus' death and resurrection, theoretically, to help me get to the other side. And, and we believe that Jesus' resurrection does a whole lot more than just get us to heaven. But even on this heaven conversation, it feels really theoretical oftentimes. Now, for some of you, it doesn't. 
Some of you have lost spouse, children, siblings, parents, grandparents, friends, and so that you've had to wrestle with this more. Uh, but it was really interesting to talk with a man about his very near death and that um, it was just really impactful to me to hear Dana say, look, I'm ready. And the reason he was ready is he talked specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. And because Christ has been resurrected, that means that Dana will be resurrected in the end. And so he was able, like it's not that he wanted to die, but he was able to lean into this critical moment because of his confidence in Jesus' resurrection. That was personally impactful for me going, yeah, yeah, this is true. This is real. He was actually putting like all of his chips um, to the middle on Jesus' resurrection. And that's what these verses are saying. That's the, that's the gospel of God. As Jesus promised a long time ahead of time, was resurrected and killed, resurrected. This is our hope. All right, now what's going to happen in verse five is it's almost like that was verses two through four were almost like parentheses going, hey, I'm an apostle of the gospel. Let me explain what the gospel is. And now we're coming back out to verse five, which explains his purpose. Because that gospel is going to fuel his apostleship, now he tells us what he's going to do. It says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship. All right, so that he's kind of bringing back up that conversation. That's his signal of saying, remember verse one, I was set apart to be an apostle. Well, he's, uh, through Jesus, he's received grace and apostleship. But here's going to be the outflow of all of this gospel ministry. All of the apostleship is here it is. Two, and this is what the result is going to be, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. So um, this is the verse we're going to be talking about. The whole goal of his apostleship was to bring the obedience of faith to the praise of Jesus' name among all the nations. So hopefully that's going to happen here in Lubbock. That's why the Edwards family is in Asia, is so that Jesus would be known among all nations. And then it goes on in verses uh, 6 and 7 to talk about including you who are called to belong to Jesus and to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, uh, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to focus on verse 5 because he's saying the whole point of all of this, of the gospel message and his apostleship, is to bring about the obedience of faith. So he actually connects these things, faith and obedience, faith and works. Uh, but historically, again, like I said at the beginning, Christians have tended to kind of be in team faith or team works. And uh, like entire denominations and groups of people tend to be in these things and even have their own verses to uh, prove to it, which some of you, it may really bother you. You're like, man, this is what I don't like about the Bible. It may feel like a contradiction. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make the strong case that's not what's happening. But just look at a couple of these passages really quick. So here's one in James 2, um, James chapter 2, and it's going to talk a little bit about, uh, about Abraham. And it seems with one point, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a, a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. All right, so there's, that's James chapter 2. Now, I would make an argument that James 2 is actually saying something very similar to Romans 1.5. The obedience of faith sounds a lot like what I'm hearing here in James saying, hey, well, he's justified by faith because it's actually stated there, but faith is completed by doing. Doing is a sign that the faith is real and had become concrete. But nonetheless, teamwork's 
tends to, like this is like the verse right here. This is the passage saying, see, um, it's not just enough to believe. You've also got to do in order to be saved. Now, look at same guy we're talking about, Romans 4. So this is the same book even, Paul writing. Uh, he's going to be talking about Abraham. But listen to what he says here. He says, what then shall we say uh, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Uh, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here, Paul's emphasizing it was Abraham's belief. His belief in God was the thing that justified him, that made him right with God. So some of us may be like, see, well, which is it? I actually think they're all three saying the same thing. Keep in mind, um, right here, this is the same guy in like three chapters after here, this little preamble section of Romans, uh, that the obedience of faith, that they're actually connected and they're connected throughout the Bible. That if our values are in line, uh, that we believe in Jesus, then the, they'll be completed by what it is that we do, that obedience flows from faith. Uh, Paul's emphasis in Romans 4 is on, hey, we're not justified by works of the law. We're not right by our, our doing. We're right by what Jesus has done, his death and resurrection, and our faith that connects us to him. That's how we're saved. Uh, James's point is going, hey, look, I'm not really interested in you, uh, West Texas guy, and talking about how good you are, and you believe in the big man upstairs, and you've got faith in God, um, that faith that doesn't come out in concrete ways isn't faith at all. And that's James's point, is that, man, that, that there's a disconnect if you say you believe in these things, but it's not coming out in what you do. So that's, James has a different point of emphasis, but he actually says the same thing. So what I want to do is I want to run from this idea, run into this idea in, uh, in verse 5 here about the obedience of faith, because I think they're beautifully connected, that faith is the thing that makes us right with God, but it flows into obedience and I want to talk about the two, uh, two broken ways that most people relate to Christianity, and I would even say life, um, using these two kind of extremes of team faith or team works. And I want to talk about these things. And I think there's a Christian version in each one, or a more Christian version that has some flaws, and then a less Christian version as well on how people can relate to life. So let's run through this. So here's the first one. Uh, the first broken way that people can relate um, relate to Christianity and life is the the faith person, which is look you just gotta just gotta believe you just gotta believe. Now the more Christian version, it's still a broken way, but the more Christian version of this says, see, look at Romans four. We're justified by what we do. We're made right with God by faith in Jesus. That's actually correct. But that's the means by which we are are justified before God is by believing in Jesus. They're correct on that. Uh, but then where it'll start to go from there is a real strange direction where, uh, where any kind of obedience or emphasis on obedience ends up, uh, ends up feeling to them like legalism or like, uh, like in other words, so say someone says, hey, look, I, I feel um, like you're having coffee with a friend. And that person says, hey, I'm, uh, you know, through this Worth It uh, initiative at Redeemer, it's really challenged me on generosity, and I really feel compelled to give financially to God's kingdom and expansion and to meet needs and for the building up of the church, the whole bit. And I see that in the Bible, and I'm just really, I'm really trying to challenge myself on this, and I've grown so much from it. Team Faith, the just got to believe person, would be like, hey, listen, man, just chill out on all that. Like, you're, you don't have to be doing all that. Don't be all legalistic about what you're given and all this kind of stuff, and just kind of relax and, and almost making like obedience, um, obedience to God's commands and what we see in the Bible is, a, is legalism. Um, that that's, that's Team Faith that would feel like almost any emphasis on obedience is, uh, is legalistic. Um, even further, 
furthermore, imagine that same coffee conversation. Uh, someone uh, were begin not necessarily like a direct obedience thing from the Bible, but maybe like a dotted line of something from the Bible, but has become a personal conviction for them. And so that same person says, man, I, I just feel, uh, actually feel like I don't need to go there. Like you, you, maybe you've invited them to go get a few drinks and you're like, man, I hear you on that. I don't think it's wrong that you're going there, but I just actually feel personally convicted that that probably isn't my spot to be. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's where I need to be. It might not be that issue. It might be, it could be almost anything else. But again, that person looks at them and says, man, just relax, man. Don't be all legalistic about what places you can go to and what kind of swimsuit you feel okay about wearing or anything. I mean, just, you just relax, man. Jesus set us free from all that and just kind of go with it. And and all that. So um, that's the just got to believe person that's going to put an emphasis on on your beliefs, uh, but not so much on uh, on any act of obedience or conscience. Uh, so um, here's the thing about that. Um, just be really clear about this. Jesus didn't die to set you free from obedience. All right. Like he didn't die to set you free from obedience and even acting according to your conscience to please Jesus in ways that may not be helpful for you. He didn't die to set you free from that. It's the obedience of faith, like they're connected. He didn't die so that you, uh, so that you now don't have to worry about all that stuff, but rather uh, that you could live this blessed life, this full life of walking with God in faith um, that flows into obedience is the way that you will thrive the most and honor him the most. Um, and even um, not even free from uh, even areas of conscience are actually exalted in the book of Romans to say you should be um, operating out of conviction of conscience in areas even that aren't clear in the Bible that are, that are personal for you that you might not impose on others that are, that are personal things that you just can't do out of faith that rather you want to please Jesus by maybe not exercising a certain freedom or something like that. So you just got to believe. Um, the, the less Christian version of this would say, look, you just need to um, just have a vague, a vague sense of belief, like think Ted Lasso, the sign, the yellow sign above. We've got a few in our office in here. Uh, believe, and, and you're like, well, what are you believing in on that? Well, you know, just, you just need to believe. Believe in yourself. You can have a, a sense of belief in a religion or not and whatever. And the thing that's interesting about that, you can hear philosophers talk about this, like upper story beliefs and lower story beliefs and all this. But what ends up happening is if the only thing that is like knowable or is like math and science, although even right now it feels like, is science knowable? And like we're different, you know, it's just interesting to even watch that debate happen um, right now in the public square. But it's interesting whenever you, you talk about religion is it, it's really easy to, to have a vague sense of belief if religion gets moved to more like personal preference and taste and uh, it's like, you know, what you like for dinner is, yeah, Jesus is my thing. I think this room is filled with people that think like this, probably. Um, that, yeah, Jesus is that my thing because I grew up in West Texas or Plano or whatever, and I was raised this way, and that, those are my beliefs. Uh, somebody else may have different ones, and that's fine for them, but I, these are my beliefs here. You may have yours there, and a lot of us would see it that way. Um, it's it, this real vague, hard-to-define uh, hard sense of faith and what it even really means and what its commitments are and if it's even on. Honest, um, if your life is in line with this thing that you say that you believe. So those are going to be the broken parts of the got to believe camp. There's a more Christian and a less Christian version of that. So here's the second, uh, the second broken way of relating to Christianity in life. And this is the more the work side, which is the check the boxes, do the stuff, you know, check the stuff off. There's sins to avoid, money to give, 
Bible to read, church to attend, um, and you, you may have the sense. For a lot of you, you ever had a hamster or a gerbil or something like that, and they're they're they have those little wheels to exercise, and they're just frantically running nowhere, you know, and just clawing, and they're like they're just going hard. A lot of us feel like that in our spiritual life, and you're just running so hard, and you're like the polar opposite of the the faith person that's like, I don't worry about that. I go to church when I feel like it. I read the Bible here and there. No, I'm not looking at sharing my faith. No, I'm not going to go to a gospel community. No, I'm not going to disciple anybody else. No, I'm not going to say no to this thing that I know is really clear in the Bible. No, 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 and no. You know, so that's the faith crowd. That's but I believe in Jesus, whatever that means. But there's a whole other crowd in us that you want so badly to please Jesus, and you're just going on the hamster wheel, and it's moving faster and faster, and you feel like it's never enough. Like God is not pleased with you, no matter how hard you're running, and you're trying to check all the boxes. And um, and I had a friend the other day that I met with that was coming through town and he stayed with me for a night and we went and ate at my favorite Korean place in town and we're having a meal and uh, as they were talking and this guy planted a church about when, when we did here at Redeemer. He's a good friend of mine and we're, uh, he said this thing to me that just stopped me and we're having just the middle of a bite. He says, man, no one has done less with more than me. He's talking about his own experience. No one has done less with more. He said, I know that Jesus is so frustrated with me. And like, I dropped my fork. And like, this church is a great church. If I were to move to this community, like it'd be the first place I would visit that I think it'd be an awesome church. I think he's an awesome pastor. Um, and and it's a really healthy church. And, but the funny thing is, is in the middle of it, he just predisposed this way. And all of us probably are predisposed towards either the just got to believe or check the boxes. And he's running on that thing, claws are on that hamster wheel. And he's going so hard and wondering, I've planted the church and I've tried to disciple my kids and I've tried to do all these things. And somehow I think that he's still probably disappointed with me. And like my heart broke for my friend. And it actually breaks for a lot of you in this room that are trying so hard and you're running on that wheel and you're wondering if it's enough and if it's enough for people and if it's enough for God and you have this nagging sense that's probably not and you're predisposed to think even on the generosity conversation if I can get over this line I'm, I'm good and if I get underneath that line I'm, I'm not good and and even taking areas of conviction and turning them into if I if I go to that place I'm bad if I don't go to that place I'm good if I wear a one piece I'm good uh, and if I if I wear a two piece then well hang on but what about the guys well never mind about all that and um, and so you you know you you go down these things and you can just have this a sense of both self-righteousness and shame all at the same time. And you're going so hard and you're trying to, trying to please all this. And um, the interesting thing about all of this is what Jesus would say is, look, I didn't, I didn't come to die uh, to, to separate you from obedience, but I sure as heck came to die to get you off that hamster wheel you know, in a self-defined sense of righteousness, and you're working so hard, just calm down and receive from me, receive grace from me, and, and know that I love you. Jesus laid his life down for you on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, and now you have this freedom, and you're, you're walking in obedience, but you already have God's favor. You already have God's love. This is the Christian version of this broken area, is one that just feels like you're just going and going and going, and you're even prone to make up a few extra rules. You know, there may be a, an old-school preacher that's yelling at somebody saying you can't go play cards or something like that. Who knows? Um, or maybe a younger preacher saying, here's four steps. If you really want to have a blessed life, you better do these four things. It can come in a lot of different expressions, uh, but you have been set free from that. Now, there's a less Christian version of this too. The less Christian version of this um, is that pretty much every other religion you've ever known is exclusively check the boxes. It's go here, go to the service and pray and give the money and do the things and you check all the stuff off and you're fine, 
Don't worry about it anymore. Well, we'll actually, we'll see if you're fine. Most of them, when you look at it, it's like this little scale. And we'll, we'll see, we'll find out at the last day if you've been good enough or bad. It's like a, a much tougher grading Santa, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And we'll see, we'll see if, we're, if we make that cut and maybe we come back in the next life, depending on the conceptualization of heaven. Maybe we'll come back, uh, come back better, might come back worse. Maybe we'll be at this level of heaven or maybe, you know, and, but it all depends on how you do. And um, so there's other Christian religions that are exclusively focused on what you do. But there's even non-religions that right now it's just really interesting to watch people kind of trumpet their righteousness to their own tribes on both political sides is that you're kind of signaling to other people, hey, I've got the right take on this. And the reason you can know that is look at my repeated tweets and Facebook posts. And you can know that I'm on the right side of this whole thing. And y'all all see it. And I'm, I'm a good person because of my opinions and because of what I stand for and what I do. And, and then this side over here is saying, do you see it? Do you see my tweets? And do you see my, I'm on the right side? So there's less Christian versions of this. But again, this is where the gospel of grace is speaking to both sides is look, there's no life here to any of this. Um, you can know that you live in this works world if you're trying really hard to please God and even trying really hard to appear okay, to appear righteous. Um, you can know that you're there and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Here's what these two things have in common to pull all this together, both of these things. Um, what they both have in common is um, the just got to believe faith only person and the check the boxes person on the work side. Um, when these things are severed is neither one of them needs Jesus at all. Neither one of them requires any kind of inner transformation and renewal inside. These are things you can check off, things that you can do, things you can knock off, just ideas that you can believe. And you've got a, a statement that you say that you hold to. And, but none of those things require God to actually change you from the inside out. And what Paul's saying is his whole apostleship was to bring about the supernatural thing that would happen, that there would be an obedience that would flow from faith, faith that would be real, that's your deepest held value that plays itself out in what we do. So I'm going to say something just to kind of pull this together here um, that is going to be a little overstated. I'm just going to warn you, but only by a little bit, um, that every person in this room is exactly where you want to be in regards to your obedience or disobedience to Jesus. You're exactly where you want to be. All right, now you're like, no, I'm not. How dare? Well, hang on. First of all, I'm not saying your circumstances are exactly where you want them to be. So I know that. Your life may not have played out like you thought. So I'm not talking about circumstances. But here's the case I'm going to make. And I think it's the point of Romans 1.5. Actually, I think it's the point of Romans 4 and the point of James 2 as well is this, is that... You have a value system, every human being does, and you will, you will make choices that are in line with that value system. It's what you do. You will be obedient, you could say, to what you love the most. So as an example, I was talking to a college student the other day that's an athlete, and um, he's really coming to faith right now in Jesus, and I said, so did you grow up in church? And he said, oh, no, no, no. What we did is we did travel baseball tournaments every weekend. That was even his words where that was kind of church to us was the travel baseball world. So here's what I would say is the deepest value system was family and baseball and money was given to it. Friendship circles revolved around it. Weekend schedules were there. 
private lessons were bought, time committed. I mean, every choice you could imagine was in line with the deepest value system. And so I think this is naturally what we do. The only question that really remains is, is what's the object of faith? What's the object of devotion? Or like, what's the deepest value that you've got? Like, what do you love the most? And the, the reality is, is that whatever you love the most, you will choose the things. You will give money to it. You will think about it. You will talk about it. You will surround yourself with relationships that are in line with that. You will fund it. You'll do every last part of it because it's your deepest object of devotion and your choices will be in line with that. And really what Paul's saying, his apostleship existed to make much of Jesus Christ to the glory of his name and that he would be known above all, that he would be your deepest value system and that obedience would flow from that faith commitment in a real way because that's how God designed us. We're going to act in line with what we love the most. So the question is, what do you love the most? And is that thing Jesus or is it something else? And I bet even in your mind, even a few rivals to Jesus, even if you're firmly committed to Christ, immediately come into your mind. So I'm going to pray um, that that would be, uh, Christ would be first in all. So Lord, would you, uh, would you anchor these things deep into our soul, that every person here, that there'd be a, either a new commitment from some and a renewed commitment from many others, that you would have that first place, that place of grace in our heart, that you would be, um, you would be the deepest value um, in our hearts and that the obedience would flow out from there and that we wouldn't get on that hamster wheel, but neither would we li live in a world of vague spirituality. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.